The Women of Ill Repute with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Wendy, between the two of us, you're more of a politico. So I have to ask you, have you have you ever thought of being a public servant? Oh, no, 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 no way. It's way too hard. And it's never appealed to me. I mean, once somebody sort of seriously reached out and said, hey, do you want to run for our party? Can you say what party? I'd rather not. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. It's still those old journalistic bones, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pretend that I have no opinions. <laughs> but anyway, I said, sure, I, I'd like to, but can I be prime minister? And can I start off with being prime minister? And, and he said, you know, I think you'd have to start a little lower than that. And I said, no, no, thanks. So I never really wanted to. It's, it's so much better to be able to ask questions rather than have to answer them. Although I guess I just answered your question. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> You'd be a terrible politician. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this, did you ever think about it? So yeah, no. You? Okay. Oh, well, my mother was involved with the Liberal Party for a while, very superficially, but that was because she had a crush on Pierre Trudeau. He had a lot of women who were happily following in his footsteps. And then my sister did run for the provincial Liberals a while ago. She did well, but she didn't win. My second cousin, Bob Morrow, was mayor of Hamilton for a long time. And my aunt dated Brian Mulrooney back in Bay Como, but I don't think that counts. So he was single then. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always forget that you that you have roots in Bay Como. I would think Brian Mulrooney was the only person who comes from there. But but you, like you personally, you've never thought of running? No, no, I'm not really civic minded. I think I'm becoming more so as I get older. I'm kind of getting involved in politics around where my cottage is because there are big environmental concerns there. And I have such admiration for people who do, because if I've learned anything, it is a thankless task. And even when you're doing a great job, you're always open to criticism, especially on the municipal level. But that being said, I think if I had to be something, I think it would be fun to be mayor. I don't know. I mean, the, the prime minister has his own plane while he's or she is prime minister. The premier, I don't know what they have. But mayor, you choose mayor. Yeah, I you know, because look at the, the mayor, you get to work with all that. You get to work with the police. You get to work with the fire department, the school boards. You deal with housing. You deal with transportation. You speak to the press. You manage budgets. You make speeches. You endure constant criticism. And the best thing about it would probably be the big chunky necklace. <laughs> it's not a necklace. No, it's called like the chain of office. It's a chain of office. Well, isn't that poetic? You're chained. You're chained to your office. No, there's no doubt. It's not for me. Especially if you're in a big city. I mean, it's hugely demanding. And our guest today, we're really lucky that Mayor Jody Gondek, she's the mayor of Calgary, big city, first woman to be elected in that position. This is, I think it's like a one-year anniversary. I mean, she's still, I don't know, she must be new because she still sounds like a real person. <laughs> she still has enthusiasm. All right, okay. A little background on Mayor Gondek. She was born in the UK. Her family is Punjabi, and they moved to Canada when she was four. They moved to Winnipeg, welcome to Canada, in the winter. And the family moved around a fair amount, and then Jyoti eventually moved to Vancouver, and she went to UBC, for starters. Yeah, and I think I read that she originally wanted to be a journalist, which is kind of cool, because, you know, journalism, rah-rah. Marketing, that's also kind of cool. She moved to Calgary. She got a PhD in urban sociology. She got elected to city council. And then she, a year ago, she became mayor. So she is Dr. Mayor Gondek. I know she doesn't want to be called your worship because that's the traditional honorific for a mayor. And I don't know why, but she doesn't want to be called that. And that I understand. 
I also know it's been a really bumpy year for Calgary. It's been it's been a bumpy year for everybody, for all cities. But if you recall, Calgary had a climate emergency or declared a climate emergency. There's a housing shortage. Homelessness is a problem. They're common to all cities, but it's been particularly rough for Calgary. And you think this still sounds like fun? No, but the big chunky necklace would be great. I still think that would be kind of cool. <laughs> it's not a necklace. It's a chain of office. Let's welcome Mayor Jody Gondek and hear all about it. Welcome, Mayor. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, how are you? There's no necklace. Yeah, I'm not wearing the big chunky necklace today. <laughs> no, no, I imagine you only wear that occasionally, but it's, it's pretty cool. And also welcome to the Short Hair Club. I'm looking at the three of us and how fabulous we are with our no-nonsense do's. We look good. Yeah, our listeners don't get to see this, but we can we can we can actually see you. So, uh, yeah, so we've all got we you used to have long hair. I used, well, I had long hair until I had cancer and then it was like who knew? But you didn't have cancer, you just got short hair. Is that a political decision? It was not a political decision at all. It was a time decision. This is so much faster. Yeah, isn't it though? So, Mary, tell us, okay, you you're married, you have a child, two children? I have one kiddo. One kiddo. And a dog. <laughs> well, apparently they're the same, say the dog owners. But to me, yeah. So your kid, I mean, I found that really interesting too, because I don't know, I guess we've talked to a lot of women on the podcast and they all talk about work-life balance, which Marie Hennon, the lawyer says, there is no such thing. There's no such thing as perfection. And you you have your own version of that. I think you you say that the, the super mom thing cannot be sustained. Like, how have you managed to do both? I'm not supposed to ask that question according to Marie, but how have you done both? Well, I think it's an interesting question because we, as women, get that question a lot. How do you find balance? And there's so many people that try to tell us that you must have balance and you must achieve it in this way. And I think it's just it's kind of farcical. I mean, no one's really got balance all of the time. We all have things that we're juggling, and it's largely because we're playing different roles at any given time. I'm always a mom. Right now, I'm always a daughter. I'm always a spouse. I'm the mayor. I'm many things at all times. And those things conflict with each other. So I think the sooner you understand that trying to achieve balance is an impossible task, but achieving some joy out of your life and some happiness should be the mission. That way you can, you know, do all the things you need to do and compartmentalize the stuff you need to and still be good at all of those tasks. You'll never be perfect. But, you know, it's, it's also important to understand that you have to ask for help. You can't do it all yourself. I learned when my kid went off to kindergarten that I had to start asking other moms for help with rides home and walks home off the bus, things like that. I realized that I could not be superwoman. So the sooner you realize that, I think the better off you'll be. Here's a question that male mayors don't get asked. Do you, are you provided with help? I mean, help at home? You know, I have never heard a male mayor asked if their spouse cooks some dinner or who does the laundry. I've actually never heard them ask how they achieve balance. So I think it's this weird thing where we realize that women have many roles that they perform in a given day, but yet we don't want to give them a break. You know, like it's just assumed that if a man is performing a role, there's somehow somebody at home taking care of everything and it's not something they need to worry about. But everyone always wants to know how we manage all of that. I find it strange. Well, your dad and your mom, but particularly your dad, who apparently died quite young, raised you to like believe in, you know, 
Maureen says that she's now becoming very civic minded, but you were raised to think, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to make this a better place. I guess, is that one of the reasons why you're doing what you're doing? Well, it's funny. Mom and dad have both always instilled in me this idea of helping others and, and just being a good person and looking out for those around you. My dad was a tireless volunteer in the community, and he would always say, you know, Jyoti, you've got to be into politics. You've got to be more political. And I always said, oh, dad, that's so boring. That's for old people. And then I got old and look at me now. But, you know, the interesting lesson that I learned from my dad's very unfortunate passing back in 2003 is that what he meant by be more political is be more civic minded, understand the things that matter to you and then go out and do something about them. I went and finished a couple of projects he had started with his buddies, the uncles, as I call them in the community. And I phoned them after he passed and said, do you still need a hand? I mean, I I can do some research. I can help you with presentations. And I worked with them and we managed to implement Punjabi as a second language in the Calgary Board of Education system. So that whole project, working with those amazing gentlemen that were my dad's friends, it helped me see what he meant by be political. And it really did change the course of what I did with my life. Let's talk a little bit about the nature of Calgary. Now, I've, I've never lived there. I've lived out west. I've spent a fair amount of time in Calgary, and I was, I was on air there for a number of years. And it's, it's got a very macho, very male, very conservative in a lot of ways kind of reputation. It's a real guy's town. At, l- at least that's how it appears to us if we're outside the city. What, about, what, what have you found about Calgary? How has it revealed itself to you? Well, one of the reasons that I wanted to run for mayor is to change the narrative. I thought if I had this platform, I could actually go out and tell the story of our city from the perspective of someone who's from here, instead of always having stories told about us and instead of being some sort of cartoon character version of who we really are. And I can give you an example as recent as yesterday, where all of the rooms that I was in for the various things I was doing were incredibly diverse and incredibly welcoming and inclusive. I was at the Immigrants of Distinction Awards last night. It was the 25th anniversary of that awards program. I went to a group called the Safarish Network. It is a South Asian networking group that just started up in our city. And there was a social well-being meeting. There was a social inclusion seminar to kick off the day. And I, I have to tell you the thing that people don't know about Calgary, we're the third most diverse city in this nation. And Statistics Canada data shows us that 44% of our population identifies and use whichever word works for you as an immigrant, a newcomer, as a visible minority, whatever we want to call it. 44% of us have very different lived experiences than people that only grew up here. It's so must be so difficult, though, because I mean, there's still lots of, you know, white guys my age walking around in cowboy hats that are, you know, made money or whatever in the in the oil fields. And, and it's important. It's an important part of the culture. And yet Calgary, as you say, has changed so much in the last 10, 20 years and just keeps changing. And it's something that you talk about all the time about Calgary being a place of transition and that that's really important. But I I know that at the beginning, you had a kind of a shaky start because you tried to say climate change is real. Let's do something. Let's be forward thinking about all of this. And yet, and some people are like, you don't get to say that as mayor of Calgary. So like, how do you, how do you find the the line in the middle of the transition? I think it's been a fascinating study of polarization since we went into this pandemic. And I thought that as we started emerging from some of the restrictions we were under, 
And as things got a little bit better, that the polarization would start to fall away. But I've seen it become more entrenched. People more than ever before want you to pick a side or you're either left or right, or, you know, you're conservative or you're liberal. And people have lost that middle ground that makes us so strong as a society. And that's, that's the thing I worry about the most. When are we going to get past this polarization and start to actually enter into meaningful civil discourse that allows us to become stronger? And that's been the interesting thing in my city in the last year. More people like me who are saying that we can and should be better, that we must be more sustainable and resilient by focusing on the environment, by focusing on social issues and the economy, and all of those things can be done at the same time. Our voices are being heard, and you just have to be persistent to get to that place. You're right. I got dumped on for declaring a climate emergency, but I can tell you, investors take us seriously now. And the energy sector said to us, oh, look, you're just keeping up with what we already announced. If you look at Pathways to Net Zero, which is the initiative created through a collaboration of oil sands companies, we simply mirrored what they were saying. So this polarization of if you support the energy sector, then you can't declare a climate emergency is a total falsehood. That sector is one of the first ones that recognized They had to transform and transform significantly in order to survive into the future. So it's this weird dichotomy. What do you think the biggest challenge is right now facing Calgary specifically? I would say it's this wicked problem faced by people in positions of vulnerability. They're in situations where sometimes they're unhoused and sometimes they don't have access to strong medical care, whether it's their physical health or their mental health, and they're struggling with addictions. And when you combine all of those things together and there's people dealing with trauma and some sort of a crisis, that's a lot. It is very, very heavy for a lot of people in our city right now. We're not the only city that's dealing with this. Times are really difficult. And trying to find a way forward where you tackle all of those things together has to be the hardest thing. Governments are structured to have different business units and different departments that don't talk to each other. But if we don't start breaking that down, we will never help people properly. So I think that's our greatest challenge. The women of ill repute. I I don't want to get too heavy, but it's something that very much hangs in the air. And it was I, I was really struck by not so much by Christian Freeland being sort of attacked by that fellow who basically approached her outside of the elevator and started screaming that she was a traitor and yelling all kinds of obnoxious things and it was your response that really struck me because, I mean, you're, I guess, a person of color, you're a woman, you're the first female mayor of, of Calgary. And it took you a while, it took a lot of thinking before you basically tweeted in response to that and you called it your pound of flesh. Like, why did that mean so much to you? It has been a very heavy first year. It's also been an incredibly rewarding first year. And so, you know, the days you get knocked down and things happen, you know, protesters come to your home or someone leaves a costume horse's head in your driveway. (laughs) Those are crappy days. Like, you know, they're not easy, but you keep going. I mean, you don't stop marrying because someone's doing something ridiculous, but you take those things, you put them in a box and you tuck them away. And then the next thing happens and, you know, you add another little box to your collection and you're hauling all this stuff around all day, every day while you're trying to do your job. And then you think to yourself, should I share any of this? Should I tell anybody? 
And we're all taught not to be weak. And so if you talk about being fearful or, you know, that something has hurt you, that's seen as weakness. And so we shouldn't talk about it and just, you know, show a force, keep going, soldier on, as they say. But it just struck me that we're not talking about the reality of people in in very public positions, whether it's elected officials, whether it's journalists, whether it's celebrities or anyone that has a platform that speaks up, you're under attack and you're threatened. And so it was that particular video that struck a nerve in me because those things happen. We know they happen, but other people don't know that. And so I thought, okay, it's time to actually talk about the experiences. And I did. And it hurt. And I called it pain and I called it fear. And people connected with it. All of the things that people didn't think they could say, I said. And I hope it made an impact on how people understand what a dangerous world we're living in right now if you choose to take a stand publicly. In that, you said that you worry. What do you worry about? I I guess I'm just thinking, you know, I read the Andrew Coyne column recently in the Globe and Mail about, well, someday some. Canadian politician is going to be assassinated, and that hasn't happened since the October crisis. And we're all going to say, well, you know, I guess we could have done something to prevent it, but we didn't. I mean, is that what you, what do you worry about? I worry about my colleagues on council. I worry about the women. I worry about the people of color. I worry about the folks that take strong stands on things that we should be standing up for. I think there's, there's people out there that are willing to to hurt others in the interest of their particular ideology. And those are the things that keep me up at night. I've been walking down the street and had someone yell at me, Canada's for Canadians, go back where you came from. I've had a man in my face who's a foot taller than me say, I know where you live. You know, those, those are real things and they're scary. So let's talk about the fact that it is a frightening place to be in as an elected official, as a journalist. And let's start stepping up how we take care of people. I mean, the legislation right now is all centered around how did you feel? How did this action make you feel? That shouldn't matter. The action is the thing that should be punished, not begging from me, tell us how scared you were. That's not the point. That person should not be able to stand in front of my house and protest. End of story. Doesn't matter how it made me feel. Have you always been like this? Have you always been so self-confident and, I mean, People never really realize how they are until they look back and go, wow, I was brave. Have you lived your life like this? Just going, yeah, this is what I believe is right. and I'm going to stand up for it. Or is this that's something that's come to you? I think I've been like this for a very long time. And I can remember little incidents, like silly little things, like grade seven. One of my classmates was being tormented by a few other people. And they were doing things like, you know, everyone was passing around a bag of cookies and they shuffled it past her and she didn't get one because they were trying to prove that she was on the outside now. And I remember thinking, this is just so ridiculous. So I took her side and I, I befriended her. And I lost all of my friends as a result of doing that. I can remember a lot of times where I said, this isn't right. We shouldn't be doing this. And people that were fearful of the consequences of speaking up left me. And so there I was fighting on my own for things I thought were right. But I'm not sad about that. I'm glad I always stood up for the things that I believed in, as lonely as it was sometimes. Because if you don't do that, then you're just a follower. And you'll never call out the things that need to be called out. And with the amount of systemic change we need to bring about in the world, you have to be unafraid to call out things. I relate to that. I was always in school, I was the one that would stand up and say, who's with me? And I'd turn around and nobody be with me. And they'd be watching me going, all right, well, never mind. But to me, and I guess to you and to Wendy, I know 
it's not even a question of whether you should. You just have to because you can't live with witnessing the injustices of the world. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's not easy either. Like I remember sitting in a closed session meeting where we were getting some information provided to us by a group of experts. And there was two men and a woman. And the two men were speaking and there were slides that indicated who they were. And this woman was just sitting there. And I thought, that's odd. So I listened for about half an hour. And then I went over to her and I said, do you have a name? She goes, yeah. And I said, what do you do? And she goes, oh, I put this whole report together. I'm the regional manager of this project. And I went back and I sat down. Everyone got in the queue and we asked some questions and I asked mine. And at the end of my questions, I said, can I just ask who that is? And then both men said, oh, my goodness, that's so-and-so. And, you know, she's really the one that did all of this work. And I said, yet you let her sit there without a name. And everybody was very quiet. And I said, in polite company, you probably expected me to not call this out until this was over. And then I would meet you outside and say, you shouldn't have done this. I'm tired of that. Don't ever bring anybody in here and not introduce them, especially not the woman who did all the work. And it was a weird feeling. It's funny. It's making me think of a book that was written by, uh, I think her name is Kathy Kay. And she's an American, uh, actually a BBC journalist based in Washington. And she uh, wrote a book with another journalist. And it was about that the biggest difference between men and women these days, it is about confidence. And instead of saying, hey, I wrote the Fragan report, I'm going to present the report, that it, it comes down to a matter of confidence. So it's, it's lovely to see you in the position that you're in and people actually like it. I mean, you won the job. I hate to ask what the polls are now, but you're there and the confidence worked. Did it not? Yeah. And what the polls are shouldn't matter. I mean, the polls that came out three months in were, they were hell. And did I enjoy, you know, all the the feedback that came with it? No. But you got to remember, we were emerging well, barely emerging from the third or fourth wave, the Omicron wave of the pandemic. We were not out of a recession yet. People were hurting. And when people are hurting, they take it out on elected officials. And you need to deal with that. Like, If you can't deal with polls, you should not do this job. And the day the polls are good, don't get too cocky when they're good. And don't get too sad when they're bad. Understand the times and understand what you need to do to make it better. Do you have cowboy boots? Yes. <laughs> Right down to the serious brass tacks here. <laughs> serious business here. I have five pairs of cowboy boots because yeah. I love them. <laughs> I have five hats. <laughs> Honestly, you know what? Cowboy boots are like some of the most comfortable footwear if you get a really good pair. And there's some really good places in Calgary to get good cowboy boots. And hats, I just love hats. I have a top hat that I got from Smith Belt, which is based on a design from London Fashion Week. So bring back the hats, I say. Yes, I say the same thing. My husband's always said, what? women used to wear hats. Everybody wore hats all the time. And it, and it was great. You went outside, you put a hat on and everybody admired it. Everybody looked great. But that's before we all got short hair because now I, I used to wear hats when I had hair because there was like hair that stick out the bottom. And now I, I just look like a weirdo with a pinhead on. So no, no, more, no more hats. <laughs> Sorry, you're part of the club now and bring back hats. So short hair be damned. Oh, that's what this is about. <laughs> yeah, I brought it up for Stip because I've I've never been to Stampede, but I hear it's just not to be missed and I should get around to that sometime. And that's such a part of Calgary's identity. But then there's also a school of thoughts that's like maybe not the best thing to hang your cowboy hat on, as it were. How do you feel about that? Stampede is such an interesting time in our city. It's like 10 or 12 days, like 
you know, with the pre and post events where everybody comes out and joins in the celebration. And the celebration takes place all over the city in many different ways. There's all kinds of pancake breakfasts. There are, you know, there's a big Ismaili breakfast. There's all kinds of different cultural groups and community-based organizations that just put on something for everyone to come in and enjoy. It's a time of our city really celebrating its community-mindedness, its volunteerism. And if you're on the grounds, I mean, you see the 44% diversity on those grounds. Everyone is there taking everything in. So Yes, it is an agricultural and exhibition-based thing, but Stampede has evolved over time and taken on so many other components that it's really just, it's a beautiful time to celebrate Calgary for all of the different things that it is. Back to Maureen calling me a politico, I, I guess I was just consumed by it for so many years, covered politics in so many different places, and I found it really interesting to watch you when Danielle Smith was elected. I mean, we all kind of knew that she was going to become the premier and win that position. And and your first response was, I wish her all the best. It's great that she's a woman. She's going to do well. And you were very, very, very positive. And then she sent out, or her people, I guess, sent out something saying that you had to become a lobbyist to do deals between the city and the province or the city's arguments to the province. And you bit back very tentatively. So I'm just like, how do you, you know, there's a lot of people who would say that she's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still have trouble, you know, writing actual thoughts about people, but some of the stuff just seems completely over the moon. But you have to deal with her and you have to deal with the people who have voted for her. How do you do it? <laughs> well, it's that act of knowing when to speak up and when to let things pass. I mean, with this government right now, like we get a tweet announcement every day about something or other. And you can't go after all of those things because some of them just don't matter. Some of them, some of those things are musings of a person that used to be a talk show host. And I think she's starting to get her head around the fact that when you muse about things as the premier, it's a lot different than doing it as a talk show host. People take it very seriously and think you mean it. So when you make a statement like, the most discriminated group of people ever in your lifetime has been the unvaccinated. Oh my goodness, the unvaccinated did not face the type of discrimination that other groups have over time. Like that is just, it's such a ridiculous statement. I mean, that was the first thing I called out. And then saying that municipal elected officials are not your colleagues and peers, that they're somehow lobbyists, how are you ever going to build a relationship? So while I do strive to work with her and I have to build some sort of relationship so that the city can get the things it needs and we have to jointly serve our citizenry, it is really hard to be quiet about the things that matter a lot. So when to speak up and when not to, it's a fine art. Oh, it's so much easier to be a journalist and to stand back and criticize other people when they are less than perfect. <laughs> or a comedian where you just make fun of them. You went to Hollywood recently to, to, to pitch Calgary as a location. How'd that go? Well, it was right after I spent 10 hours going to the three production facilities in our city and the three ranch sites around Calgary and just getting a whirlwind education on film and TV production and, you know, the realities of the sector in our province. And when I went down there, I felt very well equipped to answer questions and to advocate on our behalf. And Calgary Economic Development sent two very strong representatives with me. We got a lot of interest. And I have to say, 
it was sometimes by focusing on things that we don't talk about. So when I went out to Albertina Farms and I talked to, you know, the owners of that place, they said, the reason we embrace film and television is because it allows us to conserve our land. And I thought, you know what, that's an angle I never looked at. And they, they said, look out at these vistas, look at the number of different things that we can do here. And we can do it because the film and TV crews actually respect the fact that the land must be maintained and that we have to be sustainable. And that was, you know, an angle I'd never looked at. And this whole idea of equity, diversity, inclusion, and accessibility is a big, big deal for Hollywood right now. And to be able to say to them that they would have people, you know, in front of and behind the camera that were incredibly talented in a city and a province like ours, that's the kind of messaging they wanted to hear. Well, Calgary's gone through so many changes. And uh, I don't know, I guess it's kind of weird that you're the first woman to ever be in that role. And yet, most of the pushback, or at least maybe it was when you were writing about what happened to Christy Freeland and the fellow that sort of verbally assaulted her at the elevator, it was about being a person of color. But being a woman, I mean, is that is that still a thing? Or are people used to that now? Because I We've got like women leaders in so many different positions now. Do you get tired of the question? <laughs> it's kind of what we do. We're the women of ill repute. So we kind of bring the femaleness into everything. But, but maybe it's over. It would be nice to be able to move beyond that. But I don't think we're ready. Do you, Mayor? Well, someone told me yesterday that, you know, race isn't a thing anymore. Oh, really? We're post-racist. <laughs> yeah. Like, you will love this. Here's the comparison that was drawn. There is a leader in England who's brown. You have a mayor who's brown in Edmonton, and we have you. And so clearly, race is irrelevant now. It's not an issue. <laughs> well done. It's not an issue. Yeah. And now that, you know, the 37th mayor of Calgary is a woman, like, can we please stop talking about this? I've heard that too. So is it over? No. It's got a long way to go. We still don't have affordable access to childcare for women who really need it, and frankly, for families that really need it. And all of the issues that we talk about, whether it's period poverty or access to safe abortion or any of the millions of things that seem to be women's issues, as long as they keep being women's issues, we have not solved the problem. They are issues of humankind. So can you talk about those? Can you talk about those things? Or is it just there she goes as a woman, she's bringing up women's issues? I guess there's a lot of other things to deal with right now with all of the, that you've got on your plate. Well, it's funny because I can deal with all of those things at the same time or I wouldn't have run for this position. Yeah, like I can talk about the economy and I can also talk about how there's limited women's participation in the labor force for reasons like access to childcare or not having proper bereavement benefits during a miscarriage, all of those things. I can talk about the economy and jobs and GDP all day long. But I should also be able to talk about the fact that it's shameful that women only have access to 2% of the capital that's out there. Like it's not one or the other. If you want to be a more successful, thriving metropolis with a good economy, get some women in there and get some diversity in there and make sure your city's accessible to people with disabilities. These are all things that go hand in hand. It can't be one or the other. Uh, well, Mo uh, tweeted the other day that me too, it's, it's all over. We won. It's, yeah, it's all done. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a response to somebody who had tweeted, you women have had the microphone or whatever for the last 30 years. It's time to hand it over. 30 years out of thousands of years. But I wish I could vote for you, Mayor Gondek. But, you know, I'd have to move to do that. Although Calgary's starting to sound better and better. <laughs> well, just tell your friends who live here. <laughs> 
So, yeah, so we're going to form the uh, the hat brigade and we'll sign you up. <laughs> and the boot brigade. Yeah. Do they have to match? No. Well, <laughs> I think you should come out here. We'll go to Alberta Boot. We'll go to Smithville. We'll get you all set up and then, you know, we'll embark on this mission together. Be careful. We might take you up on it. Thank you so much. It's been so lovely to talk to you, Mayor. Thank you so much. Your chair is huge. Do you know what? I'm locked in my bedroom. That's actually the headboard. I'm a woman who's multitasking. My kid just had their wisdom teeth out, you know, so I'm hiding in here so they can have the rest of the house. Ah, oh, wow. Well, that's, has the anesthetic worn off? Oh, not yet. Okay, well, that, because you'll have so much fun. You've got to go ask them all sorts of questions because they can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. Thank you again. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. I hope you have a wonderful day. She was lovely. So are we, we we're going to go to Calgary? <laughs> we should. We should, you know, why not take the show on the road sometime? We have an open invitation and I would love to go boot shopping with the mayor of Calgary. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to go to the Stampede too, but I'll have to stay on the outskirts because I'm allergic to horses. So can't get too close. But the pancakes. The pancakes sound great. I just, when I brought it up and I didn't think she would necessarily talk about it, but there has been, you know, a pushback against Stampede in terms of treatment of animals and certain events are considered, you know, just not cool. But that being said, it is the biggest event and brings just tons of money into the city. So, and it sounds like a lot of fun. Well, and she's in this position, right? That She's got to say Stampede, great, oil, great. So yeah, so she can, as with uh, women and people of color issues, she can talk about both. <laughs> yeah, it has to keep a lot of plates in the air. It's funny as we, as we progress through these encounters and talks that we have with women, I mean, it's inevitable that we're going to ask them, how do you do this as a woman? And <laughs> I mean, and we're only like about 15 or 16 episodes into this, but I'm already starting to wish that we are post- Post that, that the fact that you're male or female or anything in between shouldn't matter. Yeah. And it shouldn't matter that you're a lesbian or anything else either. It should just be, uh, we're just people. Well, yes, but don't confuse gender with sexuality. My kids tell me all the time because apparently I do. So anyway, I guess the bottom line is we have a ways to go. Hey, we're going to Calgary. Yeehaw! The Women of Ill Repute with Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womenofillrepute.com. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.